Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're getting into this year's recently announced Academy Awards nominees, which have set off a lot of public debate and controversy, like more than usual. Um, it, it kicked off with the so-called Barbie snub, you know, and there's even debate over whether it was a snub or not or what. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the hugely indignant online reaction, basically, it started with anyway, to director Greta Gerwig, um, writer-director, and title a role actor um, Margot Robbie not getting nominated for awards, while Ryan Gosling, of course, um, in his funny turn as Ken, getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But it's spread out considerably through a lot of other areas since then, and of course, we also have our own reaction. So before we get into all the, just the public debate, let's get into our own reactions to the Oscar nominations this year. Dolores, take it away. Okay. Uh, (laughs) 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 There's always... I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, never in the history of the world, seldom in the history of the Academy, have I agreed with their nominations. And yet, I load the page each year with a renewed sense of optimism. Like, hey, maybe this year, some kind of, like, appreciation of good films will will surface and good mm-hmm. performances. And, and it never happens. And this year, you know, I won't say least of all, but, you know, this year, all the shit I expected to get nominated above mm-hmm. good things uh, got nominated. So 13 Academy Awards for Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. which I thought yeah. was maybe the year's most boring film like right up there with kind of killers of the flower moon no disrespect marnie i mean we were tortured about reviewing that Uh, Mm -hmm. that was boring too you know (laughs) it was we tried to give it all the credit we could we it's a serious film it's scorsese he's very obviously we don't even have to argue that how gifted he is yeah what you know, the more you look back on your own, also my review for Jacobin, this feeling of like having pussyfooted around the basic fact that it's just not working. <laughs> there are yeah. great elements in it. He, all the all sorts of talent is on display, but it is not coming together. So, you know, yeah. Anyway, carry to- on. Totally, totally. So, you know, and that's, those are the things with the most noms. Um, mm-hmm. Always, that's the fair, like something with, uh, you know, seeming historical, rel- you know, weight, um, you know, like man things uh, directed yeah. by men uh, who are like 70 70- <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and yep. and so names mm-hmm. yeah and that's uh, whatever i don't know uh yeah i'm not surprised by that nor do i think oppenheimer deserves much of anything um i was excited that poor things got as many nominations as it did i thought it was too weird when i saw it to get this much recognition i'm glad it was not too weird Uh, I was uh, desperately, I think I was pretty heartbroken not to see May, December in almost any of the categories I expected. Like Charles Melton was robbed of a Best Actor nomination. That was incredible. I was sure he'd get it. I was sure. Oh, oh my God. That was a performance of the year. I can't even fathom what is going on there. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Eileen, you know how these things work. Is it possible that like the the Academy voters just like didn't see that film? (laughs) Oh, it's totally, well, you know, like everything else that has to do with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, it's totally degraded and corrupt and its roots are bad. It's, it comes out of a profoundly anti-labor effort. Um, Everything about it is bad. (laughs) Um, So, 
that we nevertheless keep coming back is real addict stuff, you know, and we can get into like, why do we keep coming back? Because every year I have, I have sworn off the Oscars so many times that I was just, just today looking back at an article I'd written that not only did I swear off ever writing about them again, <laughs> the, the, the subheading in the Jacobin article announced that we were, that was the last Jacobin article ever on the Oscars ah! in 2019. And as far as I know, I have written something <laughs> every year since because you can't kind of not. It's yeah. just, it's the, it's the one time per year. Usually nowadays mm-hmm. when everybody's talking about the movies and you just get helplessly drawn in again, if you care about the movies, if you love, if you love it as a popular form and want to see it continue to be a somewhat popular form, we're trying to save something that is always at risk of becoming another museum art form, you know, yeah. patronized by the few ignored by the many because it, for all sorts of reasons. But at any rate, so we get pulled in again and again and again. And 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 it's always disappointing and it's always horrible. And where was I going with this? Oh, the voting, <laughs> you know, the voting pattern, the demographic everyone knows. Skews much older, skews white, skews male, skews establishment and mm-hmm. values that are old and stodgy. And, you know, they favor, in, you know, very much established industry insiders. There's usually a few awards given out to newcomers. They're almost always best supporting actor or actor. You know, there's always a couple that are thrown to new talent. But yep. fundamentally, it's an insider club. Mm-hmm. Tons of Academy members don't even bother to watch all the films. It's just known. They yep. hand them off to their kids, their friends, their neighbors, their whoever. You want to watch some films? There's none, It's not like there's this tremendous across-the-board's dedication to, like, treating this seriously. There's not. Right. God knows if people even saw it or cared or thought anything of it or, you know, you just don't know what what gets favored. What doesn't is is so much part of a longstanding set of practices that are dumb practices that have very little to do with a serious investment in cinema, which is shocking because it's supposed to be directors. You know, it's supposed to be the real the, the people themselves, the directors are voting for directors. You know, it's supposed to be the people who know. Who are, who are doing the voting, who should really, really care. And yet, you know, who wins the costume design every year? It's almost invariably someone who gets some, you know, splashy period piece, and then they vote yep. for it. Wow, they did the period piece thing. And you're just like, that's so dumb. That's like any idiot <laughs> who'd be impressed by that, not someone who, who are a bunch of professionals who should know. So you're right. always getting disappointed over and over again. Like, really? That piece of shit got, got one for editing? <laughs> Or cinematography. <laughs> like, it's like, who's voting for this shit? We go through this every year. We go through it every year. Every uh, year. And I mean, oh my God. Also, like, just, I need to lament two more May, December things. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Julianne Moore, for the love of Christ. That was an incredible performance. And yeah. I thought, even though both of us have reservations about Natalie Portman, I yeah. thought that she might be dominated as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was going to get more. <laughs> it was going to get more acknowledgement than it, than it did, especially because yeah. Todd Haynes is not some newbie, well right. established, you know. Totally, but motherfucker cannot film. get nominated for an Oscar to save his life, though. You yeah. know, I mean, how many critically acclaimed films does he have to make? Like, no, nah. like somehow yeah. not in the club, and it's very much about getting in the club. Remember when Martin Scorsese wasn't in the club? Of course. He did yes. his masterpieces when he wasn't in the club and gave many interviews about, like, apparently I can't win an Oscar. 
This is yep. the guy, you know, who Goodfellas lost to Dancing with Wolves. I mean, Wool lost to ordinary people. And, you know, yes. he was legendary <laughs> losing with masterpieces. He just couldn't win. And, you know, we could, we don't need to go into all the reasons why he's, he's, he's allowed, he's been allowed since then to come into the club. I think, for, yeah. for, you ask me, his filmmaking has gotten weaker and his position yeah. in the industry has gotten stronger. It's yep, and exactly the inverse of what one would hope <laughs> happens all the time. Um, so now he's nominated for everything, and he gets awards for everything. Um, but it's not because he's making the best films he ever made. That's for sure. I know, and I don't say that with relish. I love oh, Marty. No. You know, I love you, Marty. Oh, and I, I love I'm, Marty. And Marty, he, indisputable. I don't care. I don't know who. I've had idiots try to argue that his early films aren't that great. You're an idiot. Oh. You just don't know yeah. the film, then sorry. <laughs> are tremendous. And yeah, of course, we, we, yes, he's great. He's a great talent, but you know, he's yeah. not at his top. He's not at peak strength. Um, nope. Yeah. Nope. And Killers of the Flower Moon was uh, like, wah, wah, for several yeah, reasons not, that we've already Not Marty working at his top level at all. Not at all. No. I mean, really careful filmmaking and that's not, that's not Marty. <laughs> That's not Scorsese at his best. Scorsese at his best is a just a powerhouse filmmaker, and he's not like worrying and pussyfooting around, which he does a lot of in Killers of the Flower Moon. Exactly, he's irreverent in his good work. Yes. You can't be irreverent about this story. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. And that, yeah, that straight jackets him. And like, okay, and of course, the other travesty that just racked up nominations. One of the worst films of the year, Maestro, which we've oh, already. Uh, to see that on the list was just to, but it's a classic, classic move. The biopics are favored so heavily. <sighs> there's certain genres that are always, everyone knows comedies almost never win, but there's certain, certain genres if you're going to do a genre at all. Better if you do a drama or art kind of art film, series art film, auteur film, that's going to more likely. But if you do a genre, biopic is a very safe bet. Yep. And so I'm I'm sure just just Maestro and it's about Leonard Bernstein and he's culturally important and there's that whole, you know, sub theme of supposedly an enlightened view of of sexuality, which by the way it does not have at all. Yep. It's a stupid film. It's just <laughs> it's a glossy film, but it's stupid. Uh, and it does a terrible disservice to very talented people such as Carrie Mulligan who's just straight jacketed into a role where she's just not allowed to do much of anything with what what sounds like a very interesting woman in a very interesting situation but she's not allowed to show for one thing her tremendous political activism leftist political activism that she led the way on in the marriage yeah. they both were very active in the civil rights movement in supporting the black panthers in protesting the vietnam war she went to jail at least once if not more times um none of that's in there of course because it's actually interesting <laughs> right but, but her playing a 19 a kind of 1950s wife who sits there prune faced because her husband's cheating on her perfect beautiful that gets showcased so no, <laughs> it's just an embarrassing you know entry and to see it on there is just to just shake your head like really you fall for it every time I know it's true. I I would say I, I will say I'm 
even though I think uh, Julianne Moore should have been included, I'm least mad about the best actress category. Mm -hmm. Like most of those people, except for Annette Bening, like bless, but Nyad was like a TV movie. Oh, I didn't watch it, but it's all of a sudden people were mentioning it all over the place. So, oh God, oh don't even. It doesn't even matter. But yeah, Emma Stone is my pick. I think she's she 100 should be nominated. I don't. I'm not even. You know, I'm. I'm. I have very divided feelings about poor things, but. she was great. She was great. Totally. Yeah. And and Carrie Mulligan deserves her nomination despite sure. the stupidity of the film. Um She's Lily doing Gladstone. Everything a human can do with that part. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Lily Gladstone deserves a nom. Uh, totally watchable. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall, have you? I have. And how is Sandra Hulu? <sighs> You know, she's it's a tour, to, you know, it's built to be. I mean, a little bit of my problem with with the Oscars is Films are made, they're designed to appeal to people giving out awards. Of course, one should expect this. But mm-hmm. it's so naked that it, sometimes it can be a little tiresome. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer are, are two classic examples. Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, just because it's serious issue, gr- supposedly great man in history. You know, it's got all that biopic. It's got mm-hmm. all the kind of markers of the kind of film that gets awards. It was practically, yeah, again, by design, Oscar bait. And you know, so so it's it's another it's another case of it, even though it can't be, but but it just seems <laughs> like it's a tour, tour de voice performance by this woman. It's directed by a woman. She's the only one, Justine Justine Trier, Triet. I'm not sure I'm saying uh-huh. that right. Um, she's the only woman who got a uh, best director nomination. You know, I watched it with all the resentment of someone who's always sort of awkwardly placed in relation to film. I've devoted my life to film and I'm always awkwardly standing between the height of art cinema and popular cinema in that I want, I want art cinema to be riveting. And I sit there going, (laughs) this is very long and slow. And, you know, it's, it's the kind of film that, that, all along, I find myself going, oh, am I supposed to think this? Because I'm thinking that. I, it's, cause, it's not for me. So, like, for, mm-hmm. it's all about, a, you know, whether or not this, this woman in what's at least a very fraught domestic situation killed her husband or if he killed himself or if he accidentally fell from a height from their, their house. And mm-hmm. it, it just goes into it, goes into it, goes into it. She wants up on trial and, you know, it's pretty clearly got, you know, a very feminist stance on how she's being, her whole life is being torn apart and examined in a way that she kind of can't win no matter what, whether she did it, whether she didn't do it, whatever, everything about her, uh, her, her career success, her personality, her sex life, her everything is being torn to shreds. Hmm. And, but I just sat there going, I <laughs> like the man is presented as someone who's supposedly so charming that his charm wins over everyone. And I, I look at him and I'm instantly like total prick. We're supposed to hate him. And then to find yeah. out we're supposed to feel conflicted. <laughs> and ultimately she's going to argue their soulmates. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm no. always getting lost in, I don't know what you people are seeing. I've seemed to be seeing another movie, but at any rate, mm-hmm. she does give a very harrowing, exhausting looking um, performance as the woman trying to hold it together through this ordeal. So, okay, <laughs> <It's exactly laughs> I say exactly fine. It just reminds yeah. me so much of my of my early education in film, where I went from adoring film and watching all sorts of crazy films from all eras and different countries and everything else, just out of love. And then you start meeting all the snobs who tutor you in what you should see 
And then I saw a lot of the most awful movies I've ever seen in my life that were presented as masterpieces. And it's left a lot of scar tissue. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like having to be like, really? You like this? So it's it's that kind of film. Okay. Sorry. That okay. Was a long <laughs> no, that, that's super interesting. I was thinking about like prioritizing it. I don't think I will now. <laughs> well, you know, I have to, though I do have to say, it, it is a problem watching these films on when, once they're streaming on television. It's the kind of film where you're kind of like, I don't know, I might have felt quite differently if I'd seen it in the theater. And I know no one cares about Mm -hmm. that. I write about, like, I wrote recently a post online about just because Willem Dafoe had said something about, you know, really missing, like, when people went to the movies and then you talk after and it was a whole, it riveted your attention in a way that it's almost impossible to get at home and all the jazz. Not not like it was a new statement, but it was a poignant statement. And I agreed with him and so many people argued with him. Just like, what? no, you can't concentrate in the movie theater. Like, no interest in the movie theater scenario, no reverence for it, because people talk behind you and eat popcorn. And No, they don't, homes. and I'm sorry, like, they, there's, there are not more distractions than there are at home. This is exactly, and this is what, exactly what was argued. Like, no, no, I have my home theater, and it's totally not distracting. And I'm like, your d- own home is not distracting? I just, like, can't believe that. My yeah. home is so fucking distracting. Totally. But, I'm like, I should dust that. I need to go to the bathroom. Turns out I can do that seven times exactly. throughout this film. I'll make tea. I'll let the dog out. Like, come exactly. on. Exactly. This is exactly it. But in a movie theater, you're like, nope, it's designated time. It's a wonderfully cavernous, dark space with a gigantic screen. How can it not be a more absorbing experience? So it does seem unfair to then watch these films that find, you know, in my backwoods area, nothing comes you know i sometimes feel like so there's so many like past lives is now available online streaming anatomy of a fall there's a couple yep. of others that i'm trying to catch up on and i just even as i'm watching them going this isn't really fair because i yep. might have felt quite differently if i'd had to be riveted like you can be like you are you tend to be in the movie theater so i already have had that um that experience with past lives a film that i liked when i streamed mm. it and that i just showed to my students on a larger screen in our classroom and mm. i loved it on oh, the wow. large screen. There were things about the way that New York is shot. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they're often looking at New York from like across the Hudson or something. Mm-hmm. And um, it there's there are these like amazing, like sort of like rose gold tones that show up in the building and sparkle. I didn't mm-hmm. catch that on my TV screen at right. home. Right. You can only see it. And I, I already liked the way New York was shot. That's one of the reasons I like past lives so much. But man, I was blown away when I saw mm-hmm. it big, you know, and that would be totally lost on, you know, um, on a lot of people's TVs. So, yeah. And this used to be such a hot topic of discussion. And now I'm just it just isn't. That's all the whole size of screen context for watching the debate is gone. It's over. And I think that's so crushing because there's cert- still certain filmmakers who are composing for the large screen. Oh my god! Imagine poor things on I like know. your laptop. Oh, you, I know. Would, you would miss like sixty percent of the visual information. Yeah. No, I know. It's just it's just a ghastly idea. So so many of the greatest films that I do watch on TV now, but I saw them. I saw all of the Powell and Pressburger films. You know, many of them for the first time on a huge screen because it was <gasps> at a retrospective at LACMA. Wow. Like, uh, County Museum. It was one of the greatest viewing experiences of my entire life. But I would hate to think that I had to watch them all on the small screen, like with distractions, because they're odd yeah. films. They're 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 weird. They're unique. You have and they're intensely, intensely visual, like incredibly detailed, incredibly composed. And you have to get into it or you're not getting them. You're just not getting them. 
Yeah. So we're teachers. We're used to sort of fulminating about this. Not that it has a lot of impact on students, but you, know, <laughs> you have to do it. But it, it, if you feel like you're fighting for the cinema in the last ditch, it, it can be very hard to, to feel like, you know, this is already decided and people have already decided it doesn't matter. It yeah. does matter for certain filmmakers. So terrible. Yeah, it's that that's pretty depressing. Um, yeah. I I would also say, um, oh, well, regarding cinematography, okay, one last yeah. note about cinematography. Yeah. As one last lament for May, December. That was the one film I oh, saw God. where I, oh my God, we gasped, I gasped out loud. Chris Blavelt. Oh. Yes. I, I, just the cinematography uh, for that film. You are riveted yeah. by the cinematography and you don't know where you are. You're in a, you find out later you're inside the, <laughs> the, the little enclosure where monarch butterflies are being, are being raised, but you don't know where you are at the beginning yet. And it's just like, I'm in a jungle like environment. I don't know. And the soundtrack is so astounding, but you have to let yourself be riveted by it or you're not going to get it. Yep. And it's so nary a nomination. Okay. Yeah. And like, and can one I of also our add, I've seen yes. now a number of people, critics, including someone who I really love, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, wrote a piece on, on I forget what, the best of the, he was somehow was talking, maybe it was on the nominees. And he wrote a comment that I've seen a number of people saying, um, which is basically that I don't understand the reason for this film being made, which just is astounding to me. That I only would have been, been impressed because he said it and uh, I'd seen other critics say it. And what? I was for May, December? Yes. <gasps> like why okay. this, I don't understand why this would even be made. And I'm just like, you don't, what? Like for okay, one thing, I, that's an interesting question to ask about almost any, what do you mean? <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's a great, because, no, I think it's an important question, but yeah. the fact that one can't envision an answer floors me. I mean, our entire culture is obsessed with pedophilia. Well, and that's obsessed. what I said immediately. I was like, this is the last film I would have said that about. It's so clearly addressing the way the culture is starting to respond to certain issues so that you're not allowed to analyze or explore them. You know, it's just, yep. we, we, we have a snap judgment for these things now. We do not study them in any kind of absorbing way and go, or get into the complexities. That's the whole, so it's, it's a huge answer to a, an equally huge cultural tendency. And that that could be missed was a shocking thing. Same. That that floors me, actually. I, wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep, yep, yep. I mean, yep. so many films we've talked about this year, um, Priscilla and um, Eileen, you know, mm -hmm. all have like pedophilia at the heart of them. And that's not, certainly not new. I mean, it's like in so many films. Even. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what well, to make of that. Also, you know, to me, that also suggests if it isn't spoon fed, people don't get it. If you'd had wow. somebody say something like, you know, in our culture, nobody, nobody considers this in depth. So I certainly hope you, as someone studying this case, presumably that would be said to the Natalie Portman character as an actor, supposed mm -hmm. to be researching this role. If that could have been nakedly said at the very, very beginning, <laughs> or if there had been a title, you can imagine the spoon feeding, a title card, anything. If Todd Haynes had been willing to somehow encase the whole thing in explanatory <laughs> um, announcing of like, this is what you're supposed to be getting out of this. It might've been a very different thing. It might've been in fact, exactly the kind of Oscar bait movie that would have won awards. Oh, you're probably right. But he doesn't do it at all. God yeah, damn it. He do it. 
Well, you know what, Todd Haynes, you'll be forever cool, and you're cooler from every nomination you don't get. Yeah. And come on, (laughs) one of the greatest film openings I've seen in recent years. Really, one of the most compelling, like, goddamn, I got to see what this is about kind of movies. And yeah, that it just got slugged off really sucks. Yeah. Also, like, one more lament for where's Anne Hathaway's at least Best Supporting Actress nomination for Eileen? she She didn't. I thought she would, too. Ugh, it was fabulous, but whatever. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, of course, feel, you know, I have to say, the cynic in me knew exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. not exactly, but pretty well. You know, you could see it wasn't hard to read who what was going to get nominated, what wasn't. It was. It's all been set up. It's all been free. Blah. That's another horror of the Oscars is this feeling that we're, this sickening feeling that everything is pre-digested and spat up in our mouths again. I mean, it's, it's all just happening in this rote way. So, of course, I knew holdovers would get the, oh, that's a nice little unimportant film awards, which mm-hmm. is, it, admittedly, it got, a, it got thrown into the best picture list, but now that they've expanded the best pictures absurdly to 10, up to 10 films, even though yeah. the best director stays at five, which makes Weird. no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so they threw it in there. And it also got the more typical award, which I knew it would get, which was a, a best screenplay nomination. Um, yeah. So, but it was just like, you know, but it ex- has exactly those kind of token, yeah, yeah, we got to throw it in there, but no one expects it to win. It's considered a minor nothing of a film. Mm-hmm. I loved that film. I really did. It was, it was sm- sure it was small scale seeming, but it had bigger implications. And it was just so perfectly done that that it's just like, really, it's, it's always this way, isn't it? That's another quality that for best films, they tend yeah. to be obviously announcing their important issue and they tend to be large scale, big budget, big epic, big scale size. Like there's a fear of giving to, any, uh, to a film that isn't big enough in Hollywood terms, yep. which is also really annoying. Yeah, yeah, that and that's, and that's comedy's never win. Comedy's never win. So right, that God, that's so true. Yeah. That is so true. Not since what Annie Hall, and that's what seventy oh. nine. <laughs> I think that was the last time. Yeah. Okay. Well, is it time to take on the Barbie controversy? I mean, I guess we have to because that's really what's what got has gotten the most attention. You know, and again, it's. Yeah, let's take it out. <laughs> right. I mean, to me, the more interesting thing about it is it starts with a kind of localized argument, which is, you yep. know, Gerwig doesn't get a nomination and Rob- and is it Robbie or Robie? Robbie, right? Robbie. I think it's Robbie. Robbie doesn't. Um, but Gosling does. And, you know, and the argument is this just proves the whole argument the film is making. <laughs> that The world is built for the Kens, the real world, and not for the Burbs. Yeah. Okay, that's where it starts. And then you start getting people, you know, it ripples outward as people start answering that, which was a huge, you know, a huge kerfuffle that was on Twitter and online in general. And then people start answering that and saying, well, come on, is Barbie really such a great triumph of a film that it deserves to be, <laughs> you know, that we should be carrying that much? And isn't, you know, then you get people arguing, do we really... Are we really so worried that, that Margot Robbie doesn't win? She's a, that white women aren't getting enough nominations. Why aren't we <laughs> celebrating and giving a lot more attention to Lily Gladstone, the first Native American, to be nominated for an Oscar? You know, blah blah blah. So it keeps rippling outward from there. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. All uh, all sides of this conversation are yeah. annoying. 
Um, they're all annoying in their own way, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, I- including my own. I, I mean, one of the things... I, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I hate so much about online discourse in general is that mm. people are like, oh, yeah, you're talking about X. Why aren't you talking about Y? It's why? Like, I but don't what know, is, man. What about is, um, is so epidemic in this culture? Maybe it always would, but it seems intense right now. Yeah, So intense. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, man, because we were fucking talking about X. Like, sure, yeah. we can also talk about Y, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't have strong opinions about Barbie other than I enjoyed it and I have a sort of investment in it as an opposition to Oppenheimer. And that's mm-hmm. because of the Barbenheimer phenomenon. They opened the same weekend. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. because Oppenheimer got too many fucking awards and it sucked. Yeah. And Barbie was just as big as Oppenheimer, bigger, much bigger in the box office. It was also good in that, like, you know, broad quality way. Um, and uh, I, I can, you know, uh, uh, let us qualify our Barbie was good. You can listen to our episode, okay? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think any of us, either of us, unequivocally think it's like the greatest thing. It's not a feminist yeah. manifesto. Mm. It was fun as hell. Mm-hmm. Um it did evoke some important things. It, it was sometimes moving and it was an important cultural event. So, you know, sorry, it, it, it was so fucking big that it is important. I don't care if you didn't like it. I don't th- care if you think it's feminism is compromised. It is. It is a corporate product. Duh. This is Hollywood. All of these films, are, almost every film we're talking about is a corporate product. So you just chill on that. Okay. Um, and if you're going to appreciate mass culture, you're going to have to be okay. You're going to have to learn to love the bomb. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got to negotiate the unclean capitalist product problem that you're living in. Yeah. I love I love that this is new. Like just because Barbie's patterned on a little literal toy, this is yeah. the only cinema that's selling itself as a product. Like, excuse yeah. me, <laughs> this is America since the earliest days of motion pictures. Mm-hmm. The rulings in court were this is a business, not an art. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so whatever I it's I I enjoyed Barbie. Mm-hmm. I'm not invested in its politics. Pr- well how to say it's politics are mixed and my attitude towards them is mixed, but I Mm -hmm. still think it's valuable. I I know it's important because everyone's talking about it. Okay. So that's the evidence for that. And if you're going to consider Oppenheimer for all of these fucking awards, um, I think Barbie deserves them too. And, and, you know, Barbie got nominated for a ton of shit. And it seems to me that Greta Gerwig was a really important driving force behind the vision of Barbie and to be nominated for the screenplay, which she co-wrote and best picture and best picture. To me, that implies that she, her vision was important, but she wasn't nominated for a best director. And I think that's Mm -hmm. fucked up. Um, Same with Celine song. I love past lives more than I love Barbie. I'm not talking about it as much because not as many people have fucking seen past lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But same thing. Celine song is nominated for best screenplay her film Past Lives is nominated for Best Picture, and she is somehow also not nominated for Best yeah. Director. Yeah. This has happened before. Yeah. Uh, I, I can think of two Barbara Streisand films. <laughs> yeah. Yentl, this happened, and also um, uh, Prince of Tides, which I think was also nominated for like eight awards. Streisand directed it, starred in it, produced it, wrote this co-wrote the screenplay and the score and was somehow nominated for zero awards <laughs> for this film that was nominated for eight 
<laughs> it's just like, I mean, you can love or hate the Prince of Tides. I don't really give a shit. But, you know, I mean, one wonders <laughs> if people have a hard time taking women seriously as as a director. And I think they do. And, yeah. you know, it's OK well, to fucking the, say it. The absurdity of, of expand, you know, it, this is always gets talked about when something can be up for Best Picture and even win Best Picture and the director isn't nominated is ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make any that makes no sense. <laughs> Obviously, right. the director, if they made Best Picture, they're probably, you know, you know, prizes being silly in some ways, sure, but there you you gotta go with best director. And especially when you expand for completely ridiculous reasons, they expand. I think it's 2009. I looked this up and I'm forgetting, but I think it's 2009. And there was a fury over the dark night not getting nom- it was which was hugely popular, phenomenally popular, didn't get a nomination. And they expanded the number of nominees yep. to 10 and they kept all the other, you know, they kept best director and everything else to five and to, yeah. And, and so you, you now are guaranteed to have, to have this problem over and over, this silliness over and over and over again. Um, but it, yep. it does show the kind of level of decision-making that goes on with the Academy, you know, that the, there's this pressure to movies that make a lot of money are therefore, and you know, that a lot of people like you need to shove into the best picture award. The real reason behind this was the dwindling numbers of people watching the Academy Awards every year, radically Uh. dwindling year by year. And they thought we can forestall this if we actually include more popular movies, because there were a couple of alarming years for for the major film industry um, Mm -hmm. when it was really kind of indie films dominating the Academy Awards and that many people had not seen these films. So they yeah. said, well, we've got to have room for the popular favorite. So they, so that was a big motivator, probably the main motivator, almost certainly, for the expanding the number. But it's just, it's just, once again, made even more ridiculous. There is no integrity in the entire way the Academy operates. If you recall, only a few years ago, there was a threat that they were going to take away showing the cinematography and editing awards because they weren't right. important enough and no one cared. So they were going to yeah. have them off camera and not have them on the award show. And you're yep. like, if you take away the cinematography and the editing, <laughs> guess what you, you don't, don't have film. anymore? You don't have film. So <laughs> they actually were stopped. But it was just, it was a narrow win. This just shows you the Philistine level of, of, of thinking that goes on when it comes to everything about the Oscars. Nevertheless, I will say, even though every year I have sworn off, like, I can't do this anymore. It's so stupid. I can't stand it. I always come back. And this year, guess why I came back? Because I I read so much of the discussion going back and forth on uh, not just Barbie, but, you know, all the different films and what's good and what's bad and what got overlooked and what didn't. It was the level of people who are utter despicable snobs then weighing in to say, I, well, I understand people are actually care what gets nominated for something as low as these film prizes they give out. And then I went, oh, fuck you. <laughs> I'll be damned if I join the elitist snob crowd that just is just like, this is so low that yep. no mature adult should be paying any attention. To it. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I won't yeah. have it. I won't be part of that. No. God, 
People want to be part of the world that they live in. They want right. to pay attention to the world. That's not a bad quality. That's a good quality. People that people still care about movies enough to even argue and debate. That's a good thing. I and know. Yes. It's like kind of a golden age of people talking about movies. That's pretty we, cool. Let's embrace it. You know, yeah. we don't know if we're embracing a dying of a form. We hope not. We keep crossing our fingers. But you definitely want people caring enough that they will argue and fight with each other online. And people need to work out their sense of what what's good, what's bad, what matters, what does all that's important. We're yeah. far too uncritical viewers, just across the boards. People are so used to being fed crap that they are now way too maybe they always have been way too accepting of crap. You know, they yeah. really people should fight harder and think more about what they're taking in. Um, I get criticism all the time. And here I'm a film critic for Christ's sake, because I don't <laughs> like enough films. I don't, I don't rave about enough films, but I'm like, most of it's crap. Come on. But it's some really of it's bad. great. And we need to like, talk about what makes it crap. What makes it great? Why is it worth watching? Why is it whatever? You know, that's all important and part of it. And the more we have that, the better that is. So it was like the first year I ever felt affirmative about hell yes let's all argue and debate and, and and carry on and rant and rave about this this is actually vital we're trying to save a, fo a whole popular art form let's try to save it i i'm so glad you said that eileen like you really articulated something i i, I also have seen a lot online that mm. takes that stance of like you fools why do you yeah. even bother with this and it's like i don't know i'm in the world i'm in the world <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Exactly. I know it really reminds me of like, you know, if you're a sick animal, you only, you only obsess on your one little private section of fur that you're chewing and you notice nothing in the world. If you're a healthy animal, you notice your world and you want to participate in it. Don't be a sick animal. And I know too many sick animals. I mean, sometimes I feel like my entire, you know, online feed is is being colonized by sick animals who yeah. are like, no, you cannot pay attention to this variety of things in the world because these things, these three things are the only things that matter. Human beings want to respond to what's in the world around them. And especially if you love film, why would you not want to be part of probably the biggest arguing and discussing and focusing on films of the year? Right. For good or ill, you know? Right. Yes. It's kind of too bad it had to be the Academy Awards version that gets the it, most attention, but at least it's getting attention. Let's fight for the attention. Yeah. Amen. I, I am all about this. It, it's interesting. I mean, so like I'm I'm teaching this class that I think you helped like conceptualize, Eileen. Yeah. Um, the one about um, uh, one of the things we're teaching is film criticism. And we're grappling uh -huh, with right. the question of like, what is the purpose of criticism? Mm -hmm. And I, I grapple with that all the time because I, I often get um, the question, which is much too reductive, is criticism elitist? Um, yeah. And I, I'm always nervous with the way that American culture defines elitist. I think American culture defines elitism as people who are uh, expert or trained mm -hmm. in something. Yeah. Um, then that kind of knowledge is elitist versus mm -hmm. another meaning, which is like, you know, aristocratic rich <laughs> but like in america like if you use big words or you make a critical judgment based on experience and thought not just gut reaction mm -hmm. um then that's elitist we we don't use elitist as uh you know meaning like you are wealthy uh, which we should mm -hmm. but um anyway i digress um 
And it's, it's hard to walk that line, you know, but I mean, it's true. Like, I think both of us are proceeding from the idea that one thing is better than the other. Like one can make a judgment about art. (laughs) It's not easy and it requires like training. And of course, there's no end to the conversation. There's no final word on this, but that doesn't mean it's not worth fighting for to work to articulate like why you think something is good. I think it's like the intellectual journey of a lifetime to articulate why you think something is good. Oh, I agree. And I, and I will broaden this even a little more. I, I really string along with the American philosopher Stanley Cavell on this one. He really argued for the importance of criticism as a whole way of life. Like he, he of course, was focusing on film when he wrote about it. It's the, the, in fact, I recommend for your class the introduction to his Pursuits of Happiness, in uh, which he articulates why cr- criticism is so important. And he said it's because you're overcoming an overwhelming skeptical impulse that is dominant in the modern world that makes one inclined to reject the world, Hmm. which is dangerous. And he wants to argue this puts us all back into the world by literally looking at, at things in the world and saying to the other, I'm seeing this. Are you seeing, I'm trying to describe what I'm seeing and my evaluation of it, my reaction to it, my judgment of it. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? You're constantly trying to work with, even if you're writing a piece of film criticism, there's an implied, you're writing, but you're implying there's an audience out there. Mm-hmm. You certainly hope there is one. <laughs> but, and yeah. you're, you're, the implied question is always, do you see what I see? And if not, what do you see? So I can try to see what you see. Mm-hmm. So then there's a, like a profound way of reconnecting yourself to other human beings. You know, there's a whole problem of the ultimate skeptic in the, the literal doubt of the existence of other minds and mm-hmm. that sounds esoteric we see it all the time where people literally can't believe anyone don't see, doesn't see and think exactly as they do we see this constantly yeah. yeah okay that's what he's suggesting we have to work to constantly overcome yes there are other minds <laughs> we need to start becoming familiar with what's going on in the other minds to believe in the world to care about the world to invest in the world so it's criticism in his view is an a huge lifelong life filling pursuit that he says and he just says film is uniquely perfect for it because film is takes a chunk of a kind of the world and re- allows you to view it, pulls it out for your attention. Whole other argument about how film is philosophy, not just film can represent philosophy. But it's a great, great argument, and it really fills you with a sense of this is bigger than there's an elite group of people trying to shove their, you know, opinions down your throat, and their opinions are, you know, no, no better or no worse than anyone else. It's not a question of whether they're better or worse. It's a question of whether you will join in a conversation that invests importance in what we're all looking at and experiencing, you know, and, and that also argues for why it's important that film be a more shared public experience. And as we lose theaters and we lose the public quality of it, that's under threat. We're all like sitting and we're, we're living modern skepticism in a way that he was warning us against. We are sitting on our little bubbles at home, watching films alone and not talking to each other about them. That's bad in his view in huge ways. So anyway, it, it's That's this, amazing. This, this is a big <laughs> argument about the vital importance of criticism for addressing our most basic, basic problems as human beings in a modern or, if you will, postmodern era. 
Yeah. I okay. Thanks. Solved. That's that's extremely <laughs> profound. No, that really is. I I love that. I mean, God, I wish I'd assigned that and not what I assigned. Oh fuck. Um, well, you know what? I'll yeah. talk. I'll talk because I'm supposed to be in your class, right? So yeah, you're coming to class. You yeah. got to lay it out for them. Yeah. Um, I love that. It, for me, like the questions of whether or not criticism is elitist, that's like never the right question for mm-hmm. me. I think that's always like some kind of weird red herring for people who don't want to think, you know, like what mm-hmm. what the hell kind of comment is that? Like, what's an elitist? Someone who has experience in, in a field, someone who has thought a lot about something, I, I don't know how people define I would, it, but, but you know, I would so much, you're right. Rather put it into the terms that for, for me is what defined my life as wanting to be a critic and then becoming a critic. Who cares more? Who cares? Uh, Who yes. cares so much? That's why you become a critic. You wouldn't do it otherwise. Especially now you can't fucking make a living. Once upon a time in the heyday of film criticism, when there were two newspapers in every major city, a million yep. magazines and every one had a film critic that worked full time. Best job ever. Yeah, sure. Everyone wanted to be a film critic and everybody was reading or huge numbers of people were reading that those days are gone. That was the 60s, 70s, the heyday of the film critic peak. We are nowhere in that now. Now there's very little payoff to being a film critic. Very, very little. You do it for the love of it. You do it because I hope, I mean, I read critics though, and I have to say it's disillusioning. I have no sense that they, to say the least, have read Cavell or have any such such large and passionate um, investment in this as an important thing to be doing. Uh, No. no. I'm telling you, I was, I mean, I was just telling you this before we started recording, but I I have to write something about Barbara Streisand's memoir Mm -hmm. and I am tortured about it because I love Barbara Streisand and Mm -hmm. I spend the first, I don't, I didn't know how to begin this thing i don't mm-hmm. have a hundred percent like positive things to say but mm-hmm. i owe barbara streisand like a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> like i i owe her she's you know she's given me strength she's given me courage like i she's given me a hell of a lot more than i've given her you know so i'm very self-conscious about like whatever i'm gonna say <sighs> I, I i i try to put it on the page like i actually have a lot at stake mm-hmm. i have a lot at stake here and i don't want to fuck it up And in in general, this is why I don't think people should uh, focus. uh, I mean, this is how to say this correctly. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you're a real critic like you are for a job, you have to see a bunch of stuff you hate. Yeah. But in general, I don't think you should. One should write like long form pieces, you know, about things that they don't have a feeling for. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that's like the pose least likely to yield insight. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't mean that you can't evaluate things. I mean, of course you can, you know, like I, I love Barbara Streisand, but some of her later work makes me want to die. It's the most yeah. cringe thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, yes. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> all, all of this is to say having a stake is good. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, I, and it's because you're right. That's what's going to drive you toward insight. Nine times yeah. Um, and for, I'm in the same boat with film. Film saved my life. If I hadn't yep. found film as a kid, I don't. I honest to God, I don't know what would have happened. It really yeah. saved me from a world that was quite unbearable. So I owe film. But at the same time, I will say the hardest thing to write, and you're 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 bearing me out in talking about trying to write about you know a figure, an artist you care about. The hardest thing to write is the piece where you testify to your love. 
mm-hmm. hardest by far. <laughs> the thing everyone wants from you is your hate pieces, and the things that are easiest to write are your hate pieces. I will make one argument in favor of the at least certain of the hate pieces. The yeah. things that you really hate for reasons of of horrible tendencies in the culture can be wonderfully worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You're right in that there's too many things to hate, and you you get into kind of knee jerk. Here we go again, and it can get very exhausting. And again, there's something curdling about the fact that people would real even though they. They, they always pretend they're annoyed because you, you, you write, you hate so much when you're a critic, but they really love nothing. Like nothing gets more response than a big rip of something, especially some sacred cow. People just live for it. Um, it's very much harder to get people to, to spend a lot of time with your piece where you did a carefully, carefully argued piece on something you love very much, which is a sad commentary. Um, but you are much more likely to be insightful. I think I agree for something you've loved for a long time and can testify to. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, this, that's why I was like, this isn't going to come out right, but. (laughs) Um, It's impossible. I mean, I'm still trying to write a book on the Coen brothers and I perhaps will go to my grave trying to write. Why? Because I love them so much and they've meant so much to me. And I think they're the greatest living filmmakers. So I just like it. I'm overwhelmed every time I sit down to try to continue the writing I've already done. It's just like, it's just devastating. (laughs) (laughs) But important, painful work. It's work of self-discovery as well. You know, again, figuring out how you relate to the world. The Coen brothers reflect things about the world to you. Mm -hmm. And and you can maybe begin to articulate why they're important, you know, but... Yeah. So uh, people are so dishonest with themselves. I mean, this is what's, um, I, I'm really enjoying my students. I have like sort of a wide range in this class of, uh, students who are learning to write film criticism among other things. They also have a wide range of things that, um, I think they'll get over as they learn to think more critically, but there are so many different knee jerk reactions that are, um, this is too harsh because they are very young, but at, at the, at the base of it, they're, they're emotionally dishonest. You know, well, because um, they believe what they've been told and they've, they're so ideologically poisoned. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and, believe and like, all sorts of things you've been told and you don't even know that you believe them for that reason. You think that's because they're normal and natural and true. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the most, the thing they have the hardest time with is seeing kind of like human frailty. Yeah. Um, they, they like to believe that people are sort of like, they often give a criticism like this person is not relatable because they're not morally pure uh, yeah. or this relationship. It's so like, heartbreaking. Rom- it's just like, oh, is. you poor like, oh, child. You're in for it. I got news. <laughs> um, but I, but you know, so, so the work of seeing art honestly is like hand in hand with the work of seeing yourself and the world honestly and that can only make you grow i don't see that as a tragedy i'm actually like i mean we're making fun you know like oh poor Mm. things but they'll be better people once they realize that humans are frail once they have once they develop that empathy because they themselves stumble and do things that they don't feel proud of you know I, I think, I mean, well, one hopes the best case scenario is that you grow from that and become more empathetic and more understanding and mm-hmm. kinder and mm-hmm. more capacious, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, I think, I, I mean, this, oh, I don't know, again, I don't know, I don't know how to put anything. I mean, it's too of indecision, but um, for me, watching films gave me that 
Like I watched a lot. I love Tennessee Williams and his films when I was young. And he has an attitude to the world that allows for human frailty. And lots of those sad, fucked up melodramas from the 40s have that too, where it's like, I, I didn't expect people to be like pure and bizarrely, I think in a, like in a way movies gave me that. And I was kind of spared like, um, oh, I agree. right. Yes. An that early education in, in a lot of movies from an earlier eras and yeah, times and places was uh, again, a lifesaver for the, exactly that reason, because, and you know, it's a great example, the Tennessee Williams thing, because he has such love. If you read his, his quotes from him, nobody gushes with more love for human frailty. <laughs> yeah. <than he> <laughs> But even just a fascination for human frailty that is in in itself kind of empathizing is in old melodramas and old film noir and, you know, the world being horrifying, but you have to look at it. You have to look at it is the whole film noir take. Like America is a failed experiment. We've got to look at it. It horrifies us, but we've got to look at it. That's a great education for young people and how they're, they're so not getting it. I think that really points up how much like neo-noir, noir was considered such a cool category, just doesn't take. Like mm-hmm. people watch supposedly dark visions of our world and it doesn't seem to impact people at all. You know, yep. that like, no, that's me. That's us. We are, we, we are the ones who are, are failing and are cruel and are unable to cope and are doing hateful things and in a hateful society. And, you know, if you're not getting that, what's going on in what you're reading and what you're seeing? You know, it used to be, it just seemed to me, everything was telling you that. Everything I read, everything I watched was telling me that. So it was less startling. The world itself fit in. I'm like, oh, I just saw this in a movie and now I'm living it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, how any young person comes out with... We are all moral beings and we all choose our lives and it's all a matter of making wholesome right choices. Yeah. And it's terrible if we don't do that. And you're just like, <laughs> have you met anybody? I just I know. It's, it's no, you know, really young time. people, you know, there's a stubborn idealism. You know, not that I didn't have some of it too. But yeah. it just seems like somehow all the supposed darkness, all the supposed cynicism does not really translate for a lot of a lot of young people. Yeah, that is so true. That's very insightful. Yeah, I think we have like a misconception that the world, the young people are cynical. They are not. They are. They are more naive than I thought possible. Yeah. (laughs) Bless them. (laughs) I I don't know. But, you know, again, it seems like um, like it comes from a a popular culture because, you Mm -hmm. know, we keep up uh, on like popular, especially superhero, especially like, you know, certain genres really Mm -hmm. do have like a sort of moral manichaeism that is pretty reductive it's not like that's new it's just like i don't know it seems even more than ever before (laughs) that's i'm probably not right about that Mm -hmm. um but when i see new things like especially new television shows i'm so bored by how much they belabor what is like ostensibly right and what is ostensibly wrong yeah I usually argue with it, but I'm also like, ew, this is such a boring question that is <laughs> not the point of anything in your real life. I don't know. Right. Blah. Blah. And 
Anyway, criticism, important for understanding the world and your place in it. (laughs) Hashing out the Oscars matters. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And again, I've been quite surprised to the extent to which, you know, of course, a lot of the discourse is dumb. A lot of the discourse on any topic in the world is always dumb. Yep. But it's, it's what it gradually draws out and as, smart, as more people reflect and there's smarter comments and it gets more and more meta as people are arguing, you know, back and forth on more and more complicated positions. And you start to get quite a snap, a kind of cultural snapshot, which, you know, I, admittedly, the Academy Awards always are. It's just that they're a very narrowly focused one where you, you read with a kind of dreary sense of, oh, God, this again. Or you could all tend to see, oh, this is what's going. Because, you know, if you look back at different eras that were markedly different, so late 60s, early 70s, you're going to see some very, very different choices, at least tendencies in mm-hmm. the culture that make you, oh, yeah, we weren't always going for exactly the same kind of film and awarding the, exactly the same kind of film. But True. We've, we've come along in a way that, now it seems to me it's been going on forever that we're seeing the same sorts of things rewarded and rewarded and rewarded. I mean, there are years, and I, again, reading this old article of mine from 2019, what I was indignant about was two films, Death of Stalin and Sorry to Bother You, which I oh, thought yeah. were, neither one got anything. Like mm-hmm. not even, I think maybe Death of Stalin it got one, one tiny minor award. I can't even remember what it was. It was so minor, but they were completely shut out. And, uh, you know, and, and this, so this indignation over the shut out, that's not wrong. That's absolutely right. Because mm-hmm. it's true. <laughs> Some will, again, cynics will say, did you really expect the Hollywood film industry? No. Even though there's usually, quite cynically, a couple of slots set aside for what, what seemingly outsider films, performances, whatever talents are we going to allow in this time. Right. But it doesn't mean you should stop having an indignant response. You should be yeah. able to respond on behalf of great talent when it manifests itself and be able to say, fuck you, that should have been in. If this isn't better than that, you know, piece of shit, that big expensive piece of shit you nominated, you know, come on. Anyone should yeah. be able to see that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, this is a show, this is an opportunity to have those arguments. Yeah, no, thank you. Well said. Very well said. Yeah, that's a that's a tired pose. Like, why do you peons care? Oh, I know. I just I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe how often I saw it. It was just like, really, you think and yet you think that's a fresh take. Like no one's ever said that before. <laughs> yeah. Who could possibly care or take this serious movies? What a lowly <laughs> form. Yeah, the whole history of movies is elitist saying what a lowly form guess who was into movies who first made movies who first watched movies who first cared working about class. it was the fucking working class it's yeah. a working class form at its root yeah. and to some extent it stayed i think even though elites came in and art film and blah 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 and all important and elevated but there's still a kind of for for my money anyway working class root in that if you have to work you crave movies, I swear to God. That's <laughs> <laughs> in my experience. I need, I need to be able to see the world reflected at me. I need to be able to rest my face <laughs> against yep. this form because I am a modern <laughs> human being and I have to work. Um, it just seems like it was practically designed um, for us. So to hear a bunch of you know, elite snobs 
rip on it just go takes you right back to him, you know <laughs> the 18 yep. late 1890s early 1900s cuz it's the same rhetoric that has never gone away god so true <laughs> yeah. well, anyway well, do we have with that, final, final final i know i feel like um yeah even though it's going to be painful we should all tune in for all of the following reasons, for all of the well, aforementioned reasons. And I will, you know, partly out of addiction and partly out of a new determination to, you know, no, let's keep the argument going. It's important. Yeah, <laughs> yes. let's do it. I'm, I'm here for the old broads. I hope Jane Fonda comes out. It was fun <laughs> to see Joan Collins at, what was that, the Emmys, the Golden Globes? Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah. Like, more um, of that, please. <laughs> yeah. yes. The old yeah. guard in general. Yeah. 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 All so, right. I think we're done. I think we're we did this up. thing. So, yeah. Yes. We'll see if we come back for an op- post Academy Awards. We might episode. We'll see how they do. We'll see. How they do. <laughs> and that is it for the episode we are calling Oscar nominees agonizing over Academy madness. And, you know, <laughs> I should add, and fighting the elites who are assholes. Thank you, dear listeners, and of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in those fake gold statuettes that you keep in your bathroom. If you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film site content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more extremely partisan film site conversation. Until then, (laughs) thank you all for listening. Bye! Bye! (laughs) 